Fantasy is a natural human activity. It does not destroy or even insult reason. For creative fantasy is founded on a recognition effect, but not a slavery to it. From an essay on fairy stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Nicholas Kotar, author of fantasy inspired by Slavic fairy tales and seeker after the good, the true, and the beautiful. You're listening to Fantasy for Our Time. In this podcast, I discuss classic and new fantasy media, have long and involved conversations with authors and storytellers, and explore how stories can help us all live a better, more fulfilling life. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to episode 27 of Fantasy for Our Time. In today's episode, I've invited writer, Germanic philologist, and Tolkien podcaster Richard Rowland back to discuss the final episode of Rings of Power and the season as a whole. As always, we have a vibrant discussion, and, well, we just had a good time together. A quick personal update before we start the episode. I'm going to announce a very exciting new project very soon, and my patrons and newsletter subscribers will be the first to know about it. So far, I can't say out loud exactly what it is, but I will say that it involves a special version of my new book, The Son of the Deathless, and a collaboration with an award-winning artist and a Hollywood set designer. So if you want to be among the first to know about this, make sure to sign up for my newsletter at nicholaskotar.com, or if you're already committed, go to patreon.com forward slash nicholaskotar and become a supporter of the show. And a huge thank you to those who have already signed up and who are committed supporters of the arts. I really couldn't do it without you. Now, on to the show. Well, hello, dear friends. Welcome. Welcome to this episode. Very special episode of Fantasy for Our Time. This is the final in our miniseries discussing the great cultural event of our time. Or so some news outlets would want us to have it. And uh, it's been kind of interesting how... Well, we'll talk about that. But yes, mm. there's been a real concerted effort to make this into the Star Wars of our time, and it's uh, not working. I hate to and then, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because a lot of news outlets now. I mean, even like the Guardian, Rolling Stone, etc., are coming out being like, "Eh, this this first season was not that great, you guys." Yes, that oh, which is article was excellent. <laughs> yeah, which is good because otherwise uh, they won't fix things. So yes, it will take the the uh, pandering access media saying things like this for actually uh, some things to be changed. And and to start with, on a good positive note, this should not be a positive note, what I'm about to say. And we really haven't even finished the intro, but who cares? Richard Rowland, hello. I'm hey. Nicholas Kotar. Hi, everybody. We are just jumping right into this thing. I assume everybody uh, who's paying attention to these reviews knows me by now. So Yes, I should hope so. <laughs> so there was this thing, uh, among the many things we're going to talk about today, that I read, uh, Pat- uh, Patrick Payne, is it Patrick? Whatever, Mr. Payne, um, yes. one of the one of the writers was talking about how was asked the question, "Do you have the whole five seasons scripted out?" And they said some. He said something very um, revealing that I thought was hilarious because, um, on the one hand, it should really make you afraid because what he said was, "Yeah, we have the basic ideas down, but we have enough." flexibility built in to the to the way that we've scripted the story over five seasons that in case some character or actor catches our fancy or some relationship between actors comes out as unexpectedly interesting we're going to write that in so initially i'm like well you're 
what are you doing? Like, this is not how you write. This is not how you write five seasons worth of a show that you that is going to have a con- cohesive and, and a complete story. It's a recipe for disaster. On the other hand, it also, I think they might be saying that because they're, um, they're not allowed to say this, of course, out loud, but maybe they're suggesting that perhaps there is room for improvement and that they'll be learning on the job, <laughs> which let's take out the positive and say, maybe, maybe this is something that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, so this is the thing. Um, there are several shows that I actually really like the show, but the first season is not great. Um, uh, Babylon five is, is that way. Um, mm-hmm. I actually really love Babylon five. Um, and I, there are some aspects about season one of Babylon five that I like, but also like the whole reason you watch season one of Babylon five, so you can get to season two of Babylon five. That's um, good to know. <laughs> uh, uh, fringe, which is another TV show that yeah. I really enjoyed back when it came out. Same kind of a thing where the first season is kind of, uh, skippable. It's not really very important at all. But then the show becomes pretty good and, you know, comes as comes as close to paying off, doesn't totally pay off, but comes as close to paying off the puzzle box thing as, mm-hmm. as yeah. any puzzle box show can. And it still gets really bogged down by about the, the, the second to last and, and final seasons to where it's like, okay, yes, I, I know that we have to go find the next the next key in a sequence. I'm just, mm-hmm. can we just like, can we just get there? And like, you're invested in it because you care about the characters the actual plot you you could kind of take or leave but um anyway all that to say uh so one can hope yes one can hope that uh future seasons uh which i'm not sure i'll watch but we'll uh, talk about that f- we'll talk about that i'm i'm kind of you know i'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna say no but i'm gonna mm-hmm. we'll just we'll just kind of see where where things are in you know because I, I think they're saying it'd be like another two or three years before they put out another season so and you know um, a lot of things can happen in two years as we yeah so on the one hand you could look at that and say all right well maybe they'll learn uh from some of the mistakes they made in season one and go on to season two on the other hand it just needs to be remembered this is not some little sci-fi channel low budget production that where where it's you can say okay well that looks bad or that was kind of cheesy or something but you know what i can just appreciate it for what i what it is this is the most expensive television show ever created (laughs) yes the most expensive to like literally 60 million dollars an episode that's so it's mind-boggling and so it's 60 million dollars an episode we're justified i think in holding this thing to a little bit higher of a standard you shouldn't have rookie showrunners on a project like this Yes. I don't I don't know whose decision that was, but that person is probably probably not having a great uh probably not having a great month right now. Um especially some I, of these, I bet you it was Bezos himself, you know, and it's who it's knows these, who it's even these knows. multi-billionaire people, they have to take big risks and sometimes those big risks don't pan out, you know, but that's how they make but they, they yeah, really they shouldn't big. have they shouldn't have brought in rookie showrunners. They shouldn't have well, there are a lot of things they shouldn't have done, but at the end of the day, you know, kind of the uh, a lot of the problems stem from uh with the show for me really stem from things that can probably be chalked up to uh a deep lav- lack of experience um yeah. on the one hand and then also obviously just a um let's say a totally different goal in uh storytelling a totally different goal in making this this series than the ones that I was hoping they would have and the ones that I was yeah. expecting as a fan yeah 
Uh, that's very fair. We're going to break, be breaking all of these points down in more detail as we go through episode, the, last, the final episode and talk about <clears throat> the season as a whole. Uh, and uh, let's let's start with our first impressions uh, of the last episode. And I'll start because um, I'll get through them quickly. <laughs> uh, I actually thought that the the first 15, 20 minutes or so of the episode were were some of the best in the show, just just taken separately from any reference to the lore at large. So if we're just looking at this, and I was actually able to do this at a certain point, I think at a certain point before I started watching the final episode, I was trying to convince myself that I was going to try to enjoy this on its own merits without without pretending like like this was actually um, Tolkien. This is just a sci-fi show, uh, a fantasy show. So let's let's see how that goes. And the initial part was was fairly okay for me. I thought the pace was, was good. I thought the writing was a little bit better. And then the wizard duel happened. And I wanted to bash my head against the wall. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. But there were a few things that I liked. So the pace was good. It seemed like finally we're going to get to something exciting before it all broke down, of course. Um, and also, I thought that that some of the good things that we had talked about before were reinforced here. In particular, they are they do seem to be making some attempt to uh, articulate a kind of theological vision that uh, is good so in particular when nori says um in a rather simplistic way yes but still the 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 truth is there that you are not uh who they say you are something but you are what you do so basically your your virtue depends on on your actions and not on what everybody else expects of you right batman said it better but yes clearly (laughs) yeah i think you can stick that sentence will work. In, <laughs> that, that's a very useful yeah. sentence. I'm that that moment, yes, Batman said it better. No, yeah. that moment in Batman begins. You know where kind of the recurring theme of that particular film is. You know, it's not it's not who I am on the inside, but it's what I yeah. do that defines me. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, and th- and that are, that actually could work if you if you were to actually craft the the Gal- Galadriel thing about how the internal darkness can have. Uh, external manifestations they don't expect, which should, in theory, be a good thing. Like, I actually like the idea of exploring, as a fantasy writer, I like the idea of, of having a main character whose internal darkness is so overwhelming that it causes um, unexpected damage on the outside. Now, we talked about this. It shouldn't have been Galadriel. Uh, that making Galadriel into this character is extremely, extremely, extremely problematic. And we'll get into detail on this because effectively, I will throw this out right now. She is the villain of the show. Galadriel is so far 100 percent she is the villain no nobody is as bad as Galadriel she's just she's evil <laughs> period and uh reinforced uh, by well, I guess, well I'm not going to get into the details anyway so I like that Nori said that um that was also cheapened unfortunately by by Gandalf and it is Gandalf I think we can pretty much agree it's Gandalf which is dumb um Gandalf saying I'm good and, oh my you know, goodness it, this line let's, Let's just add that so, to the C is always right and all the other lines that should be crossed oh forever out of our memory. Oh my goodness. It was so <laughs> dumb. Um yes. yeah, I, I mean I we'll, we'll we'll get to the wizard duel thing because I think it's very uh it just goes back to a a profound misunderstanding of magic in Tolkien's legendarium yep. and why the legendarium isn't really a fantasy work of uh, the way That's that right. it's understood now. And uh, something the Jackson films misunderstood in yes. places, uh, but we all sort of collectively agree to forget about them. Um, right, and now, now this is the part you know the right. the, two, the two stupidest scenes 
in in the uh, well among, among a few, but the two two of the stupidest scenes in the in the Peter Jackson trilogy are the stupid moth and the stupid wizard duel, and both make an appearance in this as as like episode. the most defining thing about Gandalf yes. as a character. He has moth yes. powers, don't you know that? <laughs> he turns things into moths. He talks to moths, like. <laughs> where is the moth thing coming from like i don't know silence of the but, lambs i mean i think i feel like they've got their thing all wrong anyway okay so so yeah but uh but that line that that ju- that you know i'm good yeah dude come on please i'm, I'm begging you i'm begging you <laughs> just like stop. hire new writers yeah i don't know i don't know what's going on that they were like, this is this would be a cool line if he just shouts, I'm good. Um but yeah, I mean, this just goes back to uh my my biggest complaint with this whole show, really, which I think has been the dialogue. It's been very frustrating uh, because it undercuts and undermines anytime something is a you know, you know how like uh especially in the the current, you know, kind of the in let's say the twilight years of the MCU now, um mm-hmm. every important important story beat is plagued by just like a really off key yes. off off you know like really off key bit of humor it's which usually snarky prevents, it's usually self-referential right. yeah. usually snarky which always prevents us from from actually experiencing any real pathos in the moment right yeah this yeah. show does that but unintentionally yes. every time something important is happening and there's like a bill to write you know action i'm like okay i'm getting into this there's mm-hmm. just a really really dumb line that undercuts all of it for me and it's like well uh, you know like yeah. you didn't have to yell like if if a character has to yell the words i'm good so that mm-hmm. the audience knows yeah. that is some bad writing and, so. and we've talked about this before this is a recurring issue they don't the authors the writers don't seem to be able to trust right. the the audience in any in any real way and so yeah that, those were my those were my thoughts about about uh my initial thoughts about the final episode the rest right. we will we will discuss in far greater detail but did you have anything specific about uh, about the last episode that you want to say before we get into the more thematic stuff i agree that the pacing was better than the the episode before it uh basically as far as pacing goes the sh- they've been about every other episode has been okay yeah it's interesting right yeah um it's <laughs> yeah. it's which means which tells me that the the writers are in some kind of a weird rhythm that mm-hmm. they need to get get unstuck from um i yes. don't know their <laughs> process or whatever but um uh, yeah, pretty much every other episode I found has had kind of decent pacing as far as keeping the story going, um, showing us uh, things. Um, there has been a um, there wasn't. I'm just trying to think back through the episode and find other things to praise. Um, <laughs> See, we're trying, people. <laughs> I really am, and I'm. I, man, I'm trying not to be. You know, somebody told me the other day I was being like just absolutely cynical about this whole thing. I was like, well, no, you're. I not. don't think. I don't think I am. I don't. I'm not a cynical person. You know, I really wanted this thing to be good, and I I have tried to look for the things to praise. Um, but it is very frustrating to kind of see. Um, it's not just, and I feel like I have to keep saying this, but it's mm-hmm. not just that. Oh, they didn't do the lore the way i wanted them to or something like that but but i'm you know i i stopped caring like i stopped looking at that several episodes ago and yeah. the things i've been paying attention to have really been just like storytelling beats 
dialogue, yeah. like like character you know, development, the, character development, etc. And there is some good stuff in that uh, regard in this episode, um, but it's it just kind of feels too little, too late. Um, Plus, a lot of the really good stuff in this episode in part- in particular is only good. And what? Okay, so it if this episode existed in a vacuum. I think there'd be a lot more good to say about it. But the good, the stuff that seems to work is directly referential to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. The, right. There are scenes here that are, all, they're not beat for beat, but they're very clearly meant to evoke visually, rhythmically, in terms of dialogue, in terms of the characters involved. It's very clearly a, some kind of homage or some kind, I don't know, I don't know what you would even call it. And so the the goodbye Nori's goodbye scene, for example, right where Poppy comes back, that sort of thing should be affecting and should be beautiful, right? And because it's yeah. it's such such a human thing, right? You're leaving your tribe and you're going to go with this stranger who's possibly you know dangerous, very dangerous, and you're going off into goodness knows where distant distant land when your entire life you've been told never go off trail or you know etc. Right? And nobody so, walks alone. Nobody walks alone. Yeah. And interior, your friend is going to come. It's supposed to be this beautiful scene. But of course, recall that incredible final scene in the Fellowship of the Ring in Peter Jackson's version, where, you know, where Sam says, uh, I'm coming with you. I mean, like just the pacing of it, the length, the, the, the way that the, the, the beats of the dialogue, the, the acting, the music. It's one of the greatest scenes of cinema, I think. I think it's incredible. I, I agree that the, that I think that uh, Sam kind of, sinking for three and a half seconds maybe a little too much but if you take away sam sinking and looking up into the light the rest of that is just it's one of the greatest scenes of all time yeah so if you're gonna reference that make it different enough where the reference point is like oh that's cool right but then it stands on its own feet doesn't do that here there is no emotional resonance in that scene at all and all i'm left to think of is well you guys have been telling us the diversity is good so what am i supposed to be thinking here Am I supposed to be thinking that this is Frodo and Sam? Or am I supposed to be thinking that this is the introduction of the first queer romance in Lord of the in the Lord of the Rings universe? Mm. Hurrah! Right? Is that what I'm supposed to be thinking? Because I've been trained now to think that all my normal thoughts that come from normal impressions are wrong, and I'm a terrible racist, and I'm a horrible human being, and and shut up. So, but what am I I don't I don't get what I'm supposed to be feeling anymore. Yeah, and well, so so here's the other thing. Even the stuff that was kind of interesting and cool was undermined by the, let's say the the like this entire first season should have been about three episodes. Yes, like this whole season's been five episodes too long, right? You, yeah. you said in our last review, the whole stranger, you know, slash Harfoot story arc could have yeah. played out in one episode um the whole uh basically nothing galadriel has done on screen has actually been essential to the plot i mean if you think about it if you think about it almost nothing she's done you know except as a as a means to introduce sauron i guess yeah almost nothing she's done has actually been essential to the plot she just shows up places and ruins things and then goes other places um so so nothing she's done has really been essential to driving the plot forward you could have done elves are fading guy shows up and he's like hey i could help you forge your ring uh uh, i could help you forge this mithril mithril you could have literally just done that without any of the you know chasing all over the place yeah yeah and so that's i think that's what really frustrated me is how 
uh, how very little most of the actions of the character in the sh- characters in the show mattered, right? And this is kind of classic bad writing or amateurish mm-hmm. writing is saying, hey, listen, I've got all these scenes. Wouldn't it be cool if dot, dot, dot. And you do all those scenes, but none of it is actually moving things forward. And so now we have enough of a first season that we can look at the arc of the first season and say, okay, what was the arc of the first season? It was to get us to this particular moment. Well, mm-hmm. what would have actually been necessary to get us to this particular moment? Galadriel swimming, not necessary. <laughs> Galadriel going to Numenor, not necessary. You could have brought Numenor in yep. and still had the Numenorians show up in Middle-earth without Galadriel showing up there, right? Yep. Um, so the only purpose Galadriel has served, as you said, is to kind of become the villain of the piece. Uh, but 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 in a way that she's not a compelling villain, right um more of in a way where she is a um she's she's like a a, like a b-plot villain right her job was to just you know be be the villain that the heroes fight early on to drive the story forward except of course there there are no real heroes to kind of do that Um, maybe adar except maybe adar i mean well he's definitely the most heroically portrayed character in the in the show in terms of having clearest, somebody, clearest set of motivations has a clear set of mos- motivations real struggles that they overcome mm-hmm. um and then you know a conclusion you know that they reach now i will say i thought that um um i, I kind of love the b plot of like secret elven detective elrond um <laughs> and, and i am quite actually happy with the way that they have they have kind of unwound things about his half elven lineage mm-hmm. that the show has gone you know it's yeah. a complaint that i had early on that they didn't mention any of that and then they surprised me by actually kind of stretching it out in a way that didn't feel like super obvious or uh like like fan service or something like that but just like drop a little bit here and there oh that's really yeah. nice uh okay. I, I i really like that um He's not he's not a good detective. You know, he just literally notices things that are super obvious, but other people have failed to notice them. And he um, reads lips well. Right. He read lit reads lips and he picks up things that other people have dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, he's still like the most observant character in the show. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh so that's kind of like a fun um my I, I think that's a cool thing. I think these people don't have a good sense of how to write mysteries well, uh, despite doing like their whole thing as puzzle a mystery box, box yeah. <laughs> as a puzzle box, right? They don't have a good sense of how to, you know, if you if you gave them like here, make a make a murder mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um uh I think that they would, you know, they'd probably really struggle with with one that, you know, had a had a satisfying arc. But um, but yeah. for all that, like I said, I enjoyed kind of Elrond's role in this. I think that character has been at least consistently decent throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the whole show. Um, enough that I have stopped paying attention to his hair, which is really saying something. Yeah, actually, that's true. Yeah, yeah you know, it's, like yeah, at first I was episode like, five, I stopped paying attention. Yeah. But you know, eventually, I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, um, so those those are those are things that you know, some things I found useful or praiseworthy about this episode. Um, we'll get to the stuff that really uh, frustrated me uh, in a minute, I guess, but there you go. Yeah. Okay. So leading from that, um, there was a charge leveled at us uh, critics. Um, And there's a, by the way, there's just as a side note, there is a tremendous amount of hand wringing going on about people criticizing the show that I find 
fairly annoying. I'm just going to leave it there. It's just, it's, it's annoying. I, again, guys, Amazon is a, they're, they're, a, they're a very, yeah. very large evil mega corporation. They can take care of themselves. They and you don't they, have to. No, you don't. And the point is they didn't do a good job uh, with the production on this. It's clear right. they didn't do a good job. And right. I've, I found a, a l- interesting little tidbit, by the way, before we get into the next section that um, I'm not going to name names here or anything, but I was talking to somebody who has some intimate knowledge with the production, somebody who was involved <laughs> with the production on a limited level. And this person made it very clear that the director of, not the writers, but the director chosen for this show has absolutely no interest in visuals. That this is a director who is not a visual director. Like that's not his thing. Um, and Peter Jackson very much is. So sure, in, yeah. You know, for all for all the minuses that you do have in in some of the characterization, two things that Peter Jackson did very well was one, he never he insisted he insisted he would never put in his own personal agenda into Tolkien's work, something that unfortunately has happened in Rings of Power. And two, he was a very powerfully visual director who managed to create some of the most um some of the most memorable scenes in cinematic history i think um so both of that so that's not there that's not happening it's a real miss and it's a it's a it's a real um it's a real pity so i hope that that's something that they might be able to fix in the future because i don't think there's any need to have the same director from year in year out directors in television yeah. uh programs aren't all that important yeah. okay so all, all that said one of the one of the criticisms that has been leveled to people like at people like us is that um slow pacing etc things like this talking is slow paced the sagas are slow paced have you ever read the kalevala yes i have but they're slow paced so this slow pacing is actually a medieval storytelling device this was actually something that somebody said on one of these forums so i thought let's steel man this all right let's say let's pretend that this might actually be the case because there is an argument to be made and let's decide whether or not this argument is valid, Richard. Um, that the kind of storytelling where you are frequently referencing previous works. Uh, in this case, since it's a visual medium, you're going to have visual, visual cues, you're going to have audio cues, you're going to have stuff like that. Musical cues, right? Repeated, uh, repeated uh, dialogue, visual cues like the, like the uh, Wizard's Duel, things like this, right? Maybe this is actually these guys' attempt to make a medieval form of art where, you know, in medieval hagiographies you constantly have repeated tropes and patterns, medieval, medieval style fairy tales. You're going to have uh, frequently repeated patterns because they, because the readers know what to expect, right? This is this kind of um, typology is something that, that is to be expected in ancient literature. So is that what we're seeing here, Richard? What do you think? So do you know how many bad stories were written in the Middle Ages? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start here because this is something Lewis actually sees Lewis talks about in the discarded image, which is mm, yeah. a really important work. If you want to understand the middle ages, um, Lewis notes in the discarded image that not all medieval literature is of quality. Mm. And uh, in general, the stuff that most of us like read and reread and things like this, the stuff that makes, you know, the syllabus, right. Chaucer and, and whatever, is um that's the good stuff right Mm -hmm. uh and because it's good people have found value in it and they've returned to it again and again but for every chaucer right there were five or ten people who were doing who were rewriting exactly the same stories chaucer was rewriting because chaucer was rewriting a bunch of italian stories as was shakespeare uh for Mm -hmm. that matter yep um and uh 
uh, who were rewriting all the same stories that Chaucer was rewriting, but they weren't any good. And so nobody reads them anymore. Okay. So Lewis says that the reason very often medieval literature failed, and this is really important to understand, it's really important for us to understand as Christian content creators as well, mm-hmm. yeah. um, is that people sort of sometimes assumed, well, if I'm writing about a subject that is worthwhile, mm-hmm. you know, this is religious, this is, you know, has to do with, you know, the the classics that ha- has to do with, with virtue, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm yeah. writing something which is worthwhile, then it doesn't really matter how good the quality is. Yeah. Now, if if anybody challenges that anybody would would think like this, just go and think about every, you know, evangelical film yep. that's come out in the last fifteen years. Yep. Right. Uh, including you know the ones that have you know done relatively well for for that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You can look at it and you can say, okay, I understand why this is popular with a certain demographic. The demographic I grew up with. So no, no hate there, but. Yep. If you looked at this from the perspective of objectively, is this good writing? Is it good filmmaking? You would say, well, yep. no. And here's why. And then you could list off the reasons. Okay. Yep. Um, so just having subject matter and just being self-referential, these things don't necessarily lead to a good story. And the, pres- the presence of Easter eggs does not make good right. writing. Right. In in addition to this, there is obviously slow building pacing, for instance, in the Lord of the Rings. Comparing it to the Kalevala, I think it's not really fair because the Kalevala is a different genre. It's not, it's not a contained story. It's not, it's a, not a contained story. And also, well, it's not actually medieval. Um, it's yeah, not a contained exactly. story. <laughs> it's not actually medieval. It's not a contained story. And it's not intended to drive a narrative forward. Yeah. Right. So it's, I love the Kalevala, but. Yeah, you know too. this <laughs> but it's not it's not a it's not a a, a a useful comparison here do you know what would be a useful comparison here the odyssey do you know what yeah. has great amazing pacing the odyssey right <laughs> yep. uh now that's within the you say the canons or or the conventions of its genre which is epic poetry so we're going to spend a lot of time describing somebody's shield for instance yeah but that's okay within you know what we're doing and I think mo- for most of us, if there was like a really cool weapon or shield or something like that, and the camera lingered on it to to show us, look at this really visually beautiful and interesting. We'd love that. Yeah, we'd be love like, that. oh yeah, eat that up with a spoon, right? So, um, so that said, the comparison here, you know, if, if we look at the Lord of the Rings and ask the qu- play question. Where is the Lord of the Ring seem to have slow pacing, right? It's really the first half of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then maybe you could sort of argue the Council of Elrond chapter. Some people don't like that chapter. I'm not yeah, one well, of those Yeah, well, they're very wrong. So. Well, they're super wrong. because. But the thing is, if you go back and you look at these chapters, Shadow of the Past, Council of Elrond, yeah. uh, even you know all the Bombadil stuff, what you will actually find is there's not actually a moment of dull pacing. 
-hmm. Now, there are some people who just don't like reading descriptions of landscapes. And if you don't like right. that, I can't help you. Right. Um, <laughs> and if if one of my main complaints with Rings of Power is there were uh, there was a, an insufficient number of beautiful, beautiful landscapes, right? Mm -hmm. How often, I mean, Jackson understood this weirdly. I don't yeah. know why he understood this because he's not this kind of filmmaker at all. But yeah. uh, but he or somebody who was close to him figured out one of the things we need to do to make Fellowship of the Ring feel like the Fellowship of the Ring was is to uh, do some of these walking shots, right? Yeah. Those walking shots do more for the the world building, for the sense of you know creating a sense of this is happening in Tolkien's Legendarium for somebody who's read the book than you know a hundred other things might have, right? And so. Yeah. If you go back and you actually look very closely at the early uh, chapters of, of the Fellowship of the Ring, there is actually not a very much wasted time at all. It's all yeah. sort of building. Tolkien procedurally, methodically starts at this kind of calm center that is the Shire and builds outward from there. Yeah. And as he does so, the, the, the pacing moves like an avalanche. So it's like a little little trickle moving slowly at first. And then by the time you get to somewhere in the two towers, I mean, the book is just boom, chapter here, chapter here, chapter here, chapter here, you know, back and forth. And, you know, at some point the party is split like three different ways. And Tolkien is always very careful about the perspectives that he uses for each of those yes. shifts. It's very masterful. It's very masterful. Well, and all of that slow pacing, quote unquote, is, is, it's it's the, it's the thing that makes the later chapters work the, the, as well as they do, right? So you couldn't have. So the problem with fast pacing and fast action is that you tend to lose connection with character because you're going through stuff ha uh, quickly and stuff is happening and people are dying and, and it's difficult to have a an emotional uh, touch point. But by doing all that work in the initial chapters of the Lord of the Rings, where you have a very strong rooted connection with the hobbits, and then providing. The point of view is primarily uh, of the hobbits throughout the rest of the story. That does an incredible thing because it it makes epic story grounded in the reality of right. very, uh, very modern people um, who are very relatable. So it's actually quite brilliant. <laughs> and it makes it possible for us to grasp the sort of arresting strangeness as we yes. move through these fairy realms and through these Anglo-Saxon meat halls and, mm -hmm. you know, through into this sort of like Romano-Byzantine culture of gondor and all this you know like as we're moving through these different cultures and these places and these realms uh we have that grounding that goes back to the shire and you know in every place they go the hobbits are looking for things that make them feel like they're at home right and yes. those little details about here's what they ate and man this elven food is really nice but do you know what i would really like i would like some bacon i would like <laughs> Just a little bit of pipe tobacco. I and would. How like, great you know, was the scene in Isengard? Plots Majestic. It's one of the greatest chapters in the entire Lord of the Rings. It's so gorgeous. An amazing <laughs> chapter. It's so great. And and um, and you know, Tolkien had this just wonderful ability to to kind of communicate uh, home comforts or the lack thereof. Something mm -hmm, that probably yeah. only somebody who's you know lived through some rationing and shortages yep. Uh, yep. is able yep. to to really grasp or appreciate. Yeah. Um, so all that said, yes, slow, I, I, I am never someone to complain about slow pacing. I'm, uh, might, and, and, and I don't think I've, I don't think I've complained about slow pacing this show. And if I have, then I will just offer a correction to myself now and say, what I really mean is, uh, is let's say a rhythmic pacing, right? Where yeah. places where the rhythm seems off, where it feels like you're missing the beats that you should be hitting yeah. or 
the beats that you are hitting, you're like banging a hammer really loudly. So you can say, Hey, look, we're hitting this classic story beat. Now. Did you guys all notice? Right. Right. Exactly, um, yeah. So uh, uh, to, to sing the praises for a moment of Andor, um, I don't yes. know. Have you seen the most recent episode? I got um, about halfway through before I had to prepare for today. So, so no, is it good? Uh, I just, I just watched the most recent episode uh, last night with my wife. Oh no. Um, so th- this isn't, is this the, uh, you're talking about the heist scene? Uh, yes. Okay, so because there's a new one that came out this morning. Oh, oh, well, I didn't watch. I I don't have, I don't have. Right, gotcha. No, Richard, the heist scene is one of the greatest movies ever made. It's so. Oh, I was just on the edge of my seat the entire time. It is so good. By the time it was over, the episode was over. Is like I want another one. I want it right Mm -hmm. now. Like yeah, this is so. I, I'm very invested in the show. I'm so invested in it, I've forgotten that it was Star Wars. That's how good it is. Yes. <laughs> I don't say that because I dislike Star Wars because I like exactly. Star Wars just yes. fine. Yep. I'm only human. Space wizards with laser swords. Come on. I mean, <laughs> come on. Like you can't, who could, who could hate that? Right. But, yeah. uh, but I'm so invested in the show. I'm like, I don't care that this has anything to do with Star Wars. This is just like, this is a good show. Yeah. And um, it's got incredibly slow pacing. The first three the episodes. first three episodes are so slow. They are so slow, <laughs> and it, but it but it, but the slowness doesn't bother me. I am not the kind of person who is bothered by slowness. In fact, I go to a church where we have a service called All Night yeah, Vigil. You know, right. like 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 slow <laughs> slow is fine. Slow is especially, fine, especially when you feel like you're in confident hands that know that they're doing this for a reason, and you really do. It pays off like crazy by episode so, six. Yes. So, but so this is the thing. This is the thing. What I don't like. Is feeling like this is pointless. Yeah, we could have not done this and gotten to the same place. Yeah, and then I feel, you feel like that a lot. In, wasted in, my time. You've wasted your time. Mm-hmm. You've spent you've a wasted whole lot sixty of money. million dollars. <laughs> and and you've spent a whole lot of money doing not Tolkien. And okay, if we're going to do not Tolkien, could we at least do it well? Yeah. yeah right. And yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. and so this so the show is kind of riddled with with uh really offbeat pacing not in like a guy Ritchie kind of a way where it still seems yeah. to sort of work um <laughs> depends on the sort movie, of yeah. depends on the movie uh his man from uncle is is really i think a very underrated film i know I like it didn't it. do well I, in the I box like office no, but, I, I like it a lot I but it, it, <laughs> it it holds it holds up to to rewatching. but um but yeah like guy Ritchie is a good example of somebody who has really offbeat pacing but but like sometimes he hits gold, but it's it's not that kind of offbeat pacing. It's just it's just a uh, uh, let's say an inattention. Um, yeah, um, inattention is probably the way that I would characterize it. It seems as though the showrunners or the director or something I don't know. I've never yeah. made a film, and, uh, which by the way doesn't mean you can't critique them. I saw somebody say this yesterday. That, oh well, I just like to see all these people who are critiquing it do something better. I'm like, well, that's not how this works. You're allowed yeah, to watch things and have opinions about them. Even if yes. you're not a filmmaker, <laughs> that's um, how, that's how it works. Those are the rules of the game. You don't get to just change the rules of the game because you're not happy with what we're saying. I'm sorry. Right. And right, everybody accepts right. these rules of the game. Everybody has always accepted these rules right. of the game, especially with the internet. I mean, this is how it works. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm sure. Guys. I'm sure that person has opinions about things mm-hmm. in which they are not an expert. But anyway, um, so uh, what I really what I really don't like is inattention and feeling like, okay, you're spending a bunch of time on something and there's not going to be payoff. And time and time again, this show has failed to deliver that payoff. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's a really good point. And it also, I think it can be extended uh, to include the other aspects of this sort of 
the thing that the person was calling medieval storytelling and that if you have repeated tropes and repeated images and repeated um, dialogue, and if you're deliberately trying to echo a kind of medieval um, effect, which I don't think they are. I think whoever said this is just, it's just being silly, but let's just, again, we're still manning this. Let's just say that this is what they're trying to do. If the way it works really effectively is when the repetition uh, resonates on a deeper level, not on the right. surface level. The surface right. level still has to be effective on its own, right? It has to be something that's worth having in the story, period. And then because it's effective on its own, and then you recognize that there is the deeper resonance through um, applicability to a different work, that deepens your appreciation of it. It makes you go, okay, I really like this. This is the thing that drives me crazy about um, about their inability to do Easter eggs properly. The reason Easter eggs work is because it's for that reason. It's not because only that it resonates with the past or other thing. It's because within the existing work, it calls back something that came before it, doubling the effect, not being right. the effect in and of itself. So there's a whole series of this thing, of these kinds of things that happened in the last episode. There's so many of them, in fact, that it's almost like, I don't know what they were doing. Like they, they'd saved them all up and just dumped them on our and heads. And some of them, some of them are hugely off key. For instance, uh, when they're forging the rings, which is a very dumb scene. It's so um, dumb. Oh my God. So it's, dumb. it's, I didn't. You don't even have I, to be a I don't need to understand that this is just one of the stupidest depictions of smithing ever. I, right. I don't need in my, in my, um, in my fantasy, let alone my Tolkien fantasy, you know, uh, 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 adaptation. I don't need phrases like, oh, we put so much pressure in the pressure chamber. It should have been. <laughs> no, like that's so tone deaf. Do you understand what genre you're doing? Like that's Star Trek level techno babble. It's yes. fine in Star Trek. Yes. Don't put that in the Lord of the Rings. Come on. No. No. Um, but when they're doing that scene at one point, like they're pouring all the mithril into like the vat and it's spinning because mm -hmm. that's how that works. Yeah. And as it's spinning, like for a moment, you see the eye There's of Sauron. There's an eye and, of Sauron. And I'm like, so these are the elven rings with which Sauron's hand never so touched. Stupid. He had nothing yeah. to do with. They have creation. nothing to do with the eye of Sauron. Nothing, nothing. Like, no, this is not the One Ring. Like, come right. on. <laughs> and so they were trying to do. Oh, look, guys, eye of Sauron. See, look, it's a reference, but Ooh. did not understand the lore of the world well enough mm -hmm. to have. Uh, uh, didn't didn't understand the original story. Didn't understand the lore well enough to contextualize how that reference would best be done. And this I mean, gets me to uh, go, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's the same thing that happens with the with the witches, with the three witches, right? Because yes. they turn them into Nazgul. Um, the image is the Nazgul. What does that have to do with anything? First, first they're of not all, raids because no. there are no rings yet. Yes, and clearly they're not human. Clearly, there's some sort of shape shifting angelic being of some kind. Why on earth are you making the Nazgul image? Because it's clearly, and of course, by the way, as a side note, I loved how somebody came up with the term Nazgal. I think Nazgal. Brilliant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, quite, brilliant. quite fun. Quite and then, fun. And, and if that wasn't enough, they make one of the Nazgals face into the moth. Like, wait, how, how many levels of fake resonance are we supposed to be having here none of it makes sense it's all stupid it's just visual cues going like oh we know what we're doing guys look we know what we're doing no you're just proving to us that you have no idea what you're doing and and so this is the thing the, those are things that are supposed to be callbacks yeah. but again they don't they don't have they don't mesh in any way to the original the context, context of yeah. the original callback right right um medieval literature is full of examples of 
good ways to do this, right? Where you mm -hmm. sort of build one reference on top of another reference. Yeah. Um, Palimpsest. Palimpsest. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and you can and the scriptures are full of this, right? The, right? the 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 New Testament, all throughout the New Testament. So I'm teaching for our parish Bible center, and I'm teaching through the Gospel according to Saint Luke. And all throughout the Gospel of St. Luke and through the whole scriptures, obviously, um, even more in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, there are all these Old Testament references. Right. And they're always given in such a way that if I went back and looked at the original context of the mm -hmm. Old Testament, you know, uh, the original context of that reference, where that psalm came from and what it's saying, et cetera, et cetera. It, if I go back and look at those, it will actually tell me uh, it'll. There's a sort of double illumination that happens. Right, the New Testament right. illumines a the double Old residence. Testament, yeah. And then also now I have some extra context, so you can, you know, when Jesus says, uh, "But I tell you, you know, you will not see me again until uh, you say, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Well, that's a that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a reference to a psalm, and if you go back and look at that psalm. At, you can see all the things that it's actually saying about who Jesus is, and therefore that Jesus is saying about who he is. But he's yeah. also telling us, here's how to read the psalm. That's right. And then, by the way, you can take that same psalm and look at where it shows up in the liturgy, especially in Matins mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. for for uh, Saturday or Sunday morning. And you get all kinds of resonances, right? So the, yeah. this, these, I mean, you can layer things, but if you layer things without, uh, just for the sake of layering them, without a... Um, uh, uh context without the ability to kind of uh make the context make sense then it it doesn't just come off as i don't know as bad it comes off as as um as ignorant yeah and, that's, and those are harsh words but it's, it's yeah true. i mean it's true and and so i mean I, that eye of sauron in the mithril vat is a perfect yeah. example right the whole deal with the elven rings and they even made a, a reference to this earlier, like two minutes earlier in the show, when Galadriel says, we're going to forge these, no other hand can touch these but ours, right? Mm -hmm. That's the writers making a nod to the mm -hmm. fact that Sauron's hand, you know, uh, that Tolkien said that Celebrimbor forged these in secret, Sauron's never, hand never touched them, etc. Of course, they're also supposed yeah. to be forged last of the Great Rings, yeah, other I, than the ones, but anyway, whatever. Uh, and, and, um, and not in a, in a single afternoon either, I mean. This, these are the most powerful forging, rings that as, yeah. as, as as long as you get the mithril loop going, man. Then like once fine, you get okay. that, you're fine, right? Yeah, right and yeah. so uh we'll come back to that because I have strong okay. <laughs> But um uh but then two minutes after they said that, they show, oh look, I have Sauron. Ooh, isn't this mysterious? Isn't this ominous? Right. <sighs> yeah. And this this goes to one of my deep frustrations. And this is one of the things that I'll be honest, I've been having a really hard time with. Which is there were a lot of people, um, many of them my friends, okay, mm -hmm. who said, "Oh, well, we talked to the showrunners. We met with the showrunners. They really love Tolkien, and they really have a deep appreciation for the lore, and it's going to be great." And there's kind of a where, <laughs> where I, I don't see it. <laughs> there's kind of like a metal level where the plot of the first episode played out, where it's like the elves were deceived, y'all. You know, like. You know, Amazon showed yeah. up bringing gifts, <laughs> and everybody go. was like, "Oh, cool <laughs> gifts!" And, and and then, but but people didn't sort of like, you know, and, and well, again, actually, not... they're being so brilliant that they're making this play out on the on the stage of Whoa. the society that we live in, like the actual show. This is, is actually the world. <laughs> this is actually their plan with Sau the Sauron character, according to the showrunners. Yes. We'll we'll talk about that in a moment. We will, but yes, there's a really interesting quote that I want to read. 
Um, so, uh, so I, I felt a lot of frustration about this because it, it kind of feels like the Tolkien community in general, like uh, there's this feeling of sort of being duped. Yeah. You know, and, and it's totally unnecessary. It's like, are we so desperate for apparently we are attention and validation by the main, like, like, dude, yeah. I mean, we have Tolkien, like, yeah. you know, like, 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 why do we care what Amazon thinks about us? Like, why do yeah. we care if they give us attention or not, or take us seriously or not? Like, ah, uh, it's just, so that's been really frustrating. Like, you know, just on a personal level, that's been really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, because it because you could look at this last episode and and so many other things and say okay well they don't actually understand the original stories they don't understand the original lore and even if they know the sequence of events a that's not the same thing as understanding them and b right. they don't care right no, they don't they felt completely free to radically change important parts of the legendarium including putting Gandalf in, Gandalf in the second age <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not even timeline stuff, but just like radically change characters, radically change yeah. Galadriel's character, radically change um, Sauron's character. Yeah, and it's for no like for no obvious benefit, and that's the thing that frustrates me is that if they'd done it and it was a change, but then we could look at it and say, "But this is a pretty good story." That'd be one yeah. thing. Yeah, but the result has been not a great story, and once again, this is the most expensive show ever made. They're yeah. not they're not a low budget sci-fi channel uh production that, you know, okay, I'm gonna give them a pass because they're working on a cardboard set and the actors are acting their heart out. Yeah, which is not happening, clearly. Which is not which is not no, the case it's really frustrating. And it's it's almost like and well, this is something that that I've been thinking about. Like, what are they what are they trying to do with this? Like, what is the purpose of this? Is it merely I mean, really, why did they make this show? I'm not sure that anybody really asked yeah. or answered that question. What was the purpose of making this show? Okay. Because initially it sounded like they're going to make a story about the second age, um, which is great. I think the second age has a lot of really interesting stuff you could, you could mine. There's plenty of things you can do with it. If you're just focused on nothing but Numenor for an entire season, uh, you could do so much stuff with that. But this episode seems to confirm that what they're actually doing is making a cinematic prequel to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. That actually there is no real reference, necessary reference point to the larger legendarium because there's nothing really written by Tolkien other than a few things that they don't have the rights to and stuff that's in the appendices, right? So, and I, I did a little bit of digging. It turns out that originally what they were trying to get Amazon, what they were trying to get is the rights to do the Lord of the Rings again. The, they were on the cusp apparently from what I can tell I was, I was digging very deep. So some of this stuff is, is conjecture clearly, but it sounded like at the last minute, the, um, the uh, um, estate balked. And they decided it was too close to Peter Jackson's to, to start creating a, a you know, a comp competitor to which, which is what it would be. Now, by the way, just as an aside, I would be okay with seeing a long form version of the Lord of the Rings uh, done for the screen, for, for a television screen. I, I would be, I would be really okay with that. Okay? 100%. Yeah. Aside done. So um, I don't know if this is something that, that, that they're not telling us or what, but I think this is what's happening. I think this is what the, um, this episode has made clear. This is a cinematic prequel to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. So we can't have 
blue wizards because that's too obscure. So you have to have Gandalf because Gandalf right. is the, the Meyer counterpart to Sauron in right. the Lord of the Rings. So there's no other way you could do this. In spite of the fact that you have 50 hours to do this, they've limited themselves to a very small number of creative, cho- creative choices because they have to correspond to, they have to, they have to evoke and lead to, and I bet you anything, the final scene of season five is going to be Smeagol grabbing the ring at the bottom of the, of, I bet you that's going to be the final scene of the whole thing. At which point it's just Rogue One, right? So we've just been doing Rogue One, but badly, because I like Rogue One. I think Rogue One's great. Yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think not enough people are talking about this. And if that's the case, then actually that's a very disappointing thing. To make yeah. 50 hours worth of cinematic stuff costing a billion dollars only to do a cinematic prequel to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings is a very limiting thing. I don't think it's interesting enough. I don't think it's worth doing. If it is supposed to be that there are once again, uh, a number of very perplexing choices (laughs) that are, you know, like, is this like, is this Galadriel really a good prequel version of the Galadriel we get in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, you know? Well, clearly because, you know, Saron says that she's going to be stronger than the foundations of the earth. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. I forgot they did the call. How could you forget? So... So let's talk about the wizard battle. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, this this gets back to a, a problem, and the the places where you know you talked about this, but the places where Jackson's adaptation failed are the places where it really mistook mm-hmm. what magic is supposed to be. Right? Yes. Um, you can think of like Aragorn on the. I my least favorite example of this is Aragorn on the skull roller coaster on the way out of the the paths of the dead, like. It's very, which is very dumb. It's very dumb. Yeah, I hate that. But but the wizard battle with Saruman is another good example. Like, uh, for some reason, the wizard's staffs in uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, have telekinetic powers, but only in this one scene. Never again, like, you would think, oh, well, if you can just telekinesis somebody with your staff, like, wouldn't Gandalf be doing that all the time? Like, you know, so, but apparently this is just a wizard duel thing, which, so I have questions about that, but, um, <laughs> but also like, this is just, this is not how magic in Tolkien's world works. It's more subtle than this. Yeah. Um, you know, you could have done, uh, you know, like a nice, uh, if, if people really need their Kalevala references, a song battle would have been awesome. Totally um, awesome. I um, love that scene, Kalevala. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, a song battle would have been cool. I mean, that's so Finrod, visual too. Finrod and Sauron had a song battle, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. I guess technically they didn't have the rights, which we've talked about why I think it's a lame excuse. But in yes. any case, in any case, you know, they could have done, uh, they could have, they could, they, they didn't need the rights to that to, to kind of refer to it a little bit obliquely in the show. So they right. had some cool options and they didn't take any of them. And what they decided instead to do was, Here's a battle of telekinesis staffs. Yep. Um, no, there's or, only or one staff. What, what, one staff, but she's using it to like pick Gandalf up and turn him just <laughs> like, just like, uh, just like Saruman does. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, this is just, it's not how, it's not how magic works in, in Tolkien's legendarium. And nope. I mean, I would say that if you can't see that, or, or, or if you can't see why this is a problem, then it, you're you're missing something really deep and fundamental to to the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Uh, the most powerful magical item in the Lord of the Rings 
is the one ring and i defy anybody to Mm -hmm. specifically tell me what it does other than turning you invisible which is not exactly uh and it doesn't do that for everyone (laughs) and it doesn't even do that for everyone right that's right that's right um the actual way that the one ring works like if you only go off of the text of the lord of the rings is extremely mysterious mm-hmm. uh, it's never clear um, yeah. and verlin flieger who's a very respected tolkien scholar she makes this point beautifully in a book of hers called green sons and fairy uh, which is one of my great, favorite night books title. it's oh, a, great a great title, title. Uh, and it's a book of it's just a book of essays about lord of the rings uh, mm-hmm. and her reading of it and um it's one of my favorite nightstand books because all the essays are like fairly short and really consumable and mm-hmm. all worth a reread. Um, it's really brilliant. And in one of those essays, she just looks at every time everything that's ever said about the ring in The Lord of the Rings. And she points out that one of the greatest sleights of hand of the entire book is making you think that the ring is magical. Yeah. And that's um, so true. Wow, that's brilliant. And 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 yet you come away being like like even the casual reader of Tolkien a bit. Oh yeah, this ring's a really big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Because yep. it's so subtle and it's so beautifully kind of worked. It's so beautifully worked in. And uh, this is this this whole like you know picking people up off the ground and yeah. you know making them. I mean, I, I guess the, the argument and, can be made and, that, that you. I mean, you, you, know, you have a visual medium, right? And that's the argument everybody's going to be making. So how, yeah, how are you but, going to how are you going to make a mysterious magical object mysterious in a visual medium? Well, it's certainly not by doing the the wizard duel. That much I can not tell you. not that way. Yeah, <laughs> yes. there are ways to do this, and the Jackson trilogy does actually manage to handle some of them pretty yeah. well. But also, uh, there's I mean, lots of other there are lots of other examples of of doing wondrous magical kinds of things. Uh, uh, miraculous, you could say, kind of things. Maybe miraculous is a better way to think about it. I think it. so. I think that's um, true. Yeah. You know, if uh, if you were watching like a movie that was supposed to be like, you know, here's a saint performing a miracle, and the saint mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, used his force powers to, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I I think that that would be uh, we would feel like that was a little cheap somehow. Not that there aren't plus, some like plus pretty they're already of- they already do it right. So I mean, the scene where where Gandalf tries to heal the tree fails, then the Eleanor comes up and the next morning, everything is, is beautiful. And I that's like it. That. You've, you've done that. That's you've done that. You've yeah. shown the magic. That's it. Right. That's how it yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, I, but I understand they were trying to do like, uh, give us a big climax because they hadn't, there's no, really there wasn't anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, but I mean, again, this is just, this is not the way guys, this is not, this is not Tolkien this is just you are a mandalorian no more yeah you're you're taking the parts of the jackson trilogy which are kind of uh the least tolkien and then you're trying to double back on them and do them again yeah. i mean it's um, true if you think about the fellowship three of three of i mean i've said this already but i will repeat it three of the least effective scenes were scary scary galadriel the moth and and the wizard wizard duel i mean scary galadriel was not a good scene it, it wasn't it was it was badly done. and they doubled down on that in the hobbit which was terrible <laughs> well let's please let's not talk I'm, i pretend those things never happened come on they don't exist they're, fair, they're, enough. fair they're, enough they exist in a parallel reality somewhere in the metaverse but not they're not real I've, I've decided that's it all right so enough of that let's let's move on to the meaty stuff let's talk about uh sauron shall we okay <laughs> all right where do you want to start did you know 
that Hal Brand was Hal Brand was Sauron. I had no idea. Who could I have had, seen this coming? I, I had no idea. I'm so oh surprised. Oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. they they basically gave it away several episodes earlier. Um, not the, in the, the clip. The, uh, the lustful look at the forge. That one. The lustful look at the forge. All of the he keeps asking Adar, "Do you know me? Do you recognize me?" Mm-hmm. Um, I still, I, I'm still just going to go on record as saying I think this is not all of Sauron. I think yeah. Sauron is going to get his. He's got to get his mojo back. And that's yeah. gonna be season two. Um yeah. uh I think that you know there's still something Adara did to him, which is why he's uh maybe again, this is trying to make too much sense of things, but I he seems like a little too mortal still. Um yes. and so I, I think I think they're they're gonna show that you know he even had... even though six days of riding with a mortal wound on a horse and he's fine, so you know. But also you can't get from Mordor. <laughs> to uh to linden in six days of hard writing even if we didn't stop for any rest like okay mm-hmm. even elf horse has got to eat sometime <laughs> but 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 sure you didn't stop for rest but even at top speed writing day and night mm-hmm. you, you with, ma- with magic horses that- yeah but but again yeah. at this point i'm, I'm not expecting that right. the, <laughs> that the the showrunners have ever like paid attention to the little scale part of a map of middle earth to say how many miles is it from here and what's the route that you would take right uh yeah. which is a very important question in any tolkien story uh yeah. but not but not something that the showrunners are interested in so so yeah um man where to start with this um <laughs> so after giving us after giving us several episodes of trying to uh trying to trying to sell us uh how brown is actually he's a reluctant aragorn from the jackson films type mm-hmm. they do this complete about face basically just in this episode yeah and they had all of this foreshadowing but it wasn't the kind of foreshadowing where you were like oh this feels ominous it was like well it was puzzle box they're so obviously know, lying to us and it's not, not going to be and so in that sense like halbrand's like just sudden reversal where like oh i'm evil now guys it, did it, it not, was fast man it was fast did not feel in any way like believable but also like in, in no way did it feel emotionally impacting nope. uh none of that stuff right um and then we do the flashback scenes oh god the flashback scenes okay my lord okay this is a real problem this is a so halbrand turns into finrod or sauron turns into finrod in gladriel's memories and leans in for a kiss yeah while saying touch my darkness bro I have language for this and it's not repeatable. Like I, I was literally, I, what yeah. the heck? Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. I mean, it's, this is wrong on so many levels. Um, first of all, what does this mean about that scene in episode one? Because we have to ask that unless we're just supposed to be stupid and say, Oh, it's fantasy. Everything's possible. Which is dumb. Just let's just throw that out. There. Just if you're gonna, if that's gonna be your argument, just leave the room. Okay. I'm, Tolkien, not Tolkien would not have accepted that. No, no, no fantasy writer worth their salt would ever do anything like that. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. Okay, so this is suggesting then what? What is it suggesting? That her memory is false. Maybe right. So 
It's been tampered with, which means that Sauron can get into her head and control her thoughts, which is a very serious um, it's a very serious thing to do in storytelling. If you're going to make him into that kind of a villain, right. you have to really build that up because that is not, right, 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 that's right. not a small thing. Control of someone's mind is a major, major yeah, you thing. Gotta, you got to sell us that. You got to be like, oh, Sauron, the one who has the ability to enter the minds of men and turn them against each other. Um, I mean, yes, which, it, which this is, is a huge ex- deal. That's exactly the super obvious level on which this show would have done something like that, by the way. Right, right. Yeah. and they didn't, even, they didn't even do that. So what does that mean then? Does that mean that He's, he's controlling her memory of the event. Or does it mean that he was there and had and shape-shifted into Finrod at a certain point in her, like he was present and in Again, order to you, set up this whole thing for the, like he knew that she was going to, that he was going to encounter her thousands of years in the future so that he, so he put this, this seed of doubt in her head it doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. It does so, in no way, shape, or form. Here's the problem: is that uh, you are, as I have often been accused of doing, trying to make sense of this. Oh, I'm sorry. In Forgive reality, <laughs> here, here's what happened. Okay. This touch the darkness line comes up four times in the show. Yeah. Comes up in uh uh in the pre. It's kind of like the the pre preamble to episode one. Comes up again at the very end of episode two when she jumps into the water. Mm-hmm. comes up again when she's talking to Halbrand at the forge. Yep. And then it comes yep. up the f- fourth and final time in the scene. Yeah. That's and right. um that's a lot. It's it's a lot and it's an, it's uh, it's enough to say this is the light motif. This is the basic like physical metaphysical light motif of the of the season. Right? Yeah. They they bookended, they made sure it came up twice in the middle. So basically every couple of episodes, we come back to this, you have to touch the darkness kind of a thing. The yeah. first three times we are shown it, it's categorically true. Right. right. So like according to the, the script, according to the, you know, the, the canons of a story, mm-hmm. it's a true statement. It's coming from a character who we're supposed to see as unambiguously positive in Gladriel's memory. Yeah, whose death I mean, drives the entire right action of not the entire by the way, her, season not by the way her husband who's apparently just mia but not a big deal yeah but <laughs> whatever <laughs> but yeah so so the, the character whose death drives all of the action of the main character of season one so mm-hmm. he's he's an important character mm-hmm. um he says it we're intended to believe this is true she acts on it at the end of episode two we're intended to believe this is true. She says it to Halbrand, and it seems to be an important turning point for both of them. Yeah, We're because intended to th- believe there's it's a true. bunch of this Providence talk in that scene, right? right. It's, it's played straight. This this is one of those like pivotal 100%. scenes in the entire thing. So you can't say that it was that they're putting it there to flip it. So you come to the fourth no. use. And the question is either are the writers so tone deaf? That they didn't realize how it would undermine everything else they'd done to build that phrase up by mm-hmm. putting it in the mouth of an either evil character. Or are we expected to believe that actually Galadriel should have gone along with this? Those are the yeah. two options. Yeah. Those are the two right. options. It's either incompetent writing mm-hmm. or according to what Finrod said, Galadriel should actually touch the darkness here. She should she should join with Sauron. Yeah. And because you know, she could still it. save him. And she could him. still save him. Yep. Yeah. And fix him. 
and that seems to be like the arc that they're that they that they have set up here and the one that they uh that you know I'll, I'll read some quotes from the showrunners here in a moment yeah um, that they seem to be painting is it's after he gets spurned by galadriel yeah now he's going to so he's not evil yet We're, you know he's he's he really wanted to heal middle earth and of course for Sauron, healing middle earth means ruling it but yep. he really does want this and if she would just join with him then maybe she could have fixed him and so the fact that she didn't everything else he does from now on is partially her fault so those are the two options i mean and it's I more honestly, than partially it's more than partially right and before before you read their their uh um, yeah the quotes yeah. from the uh from the show owners i want to read this epic it's insanely epic twitter thread some of some of this i don't agree with but just just listen to this because this is obviously an extreme view but it's close enough to reality to make you really think uh this is a thread on on twitter by some guy that i'm not going to repeat because his channel seems to be rather trollish but still what he has to say is not is not untrue sauron didn't plan to get shipwrecked trapped on a raft and almost eaten by a sea worm twice he didn't plan on meeting galadriel an elf who astoundingly had just jumped out of her ship to somehow swim the entire length of the sundering seas in the middle of the ocean sauron didn't plan to be rescued by numenorians he didn't plan for Galadriel to refuse to believe that he'd stolen a symbol from a dead man, as he told her, and then insist that he was a king while he kept insisting he wasn't. He didn't plan to be out in prison for theft and assault. Uh, he didn't plan for Galadriel to somehow then convince Numenor to send ships to Middle-earth. He didn't plan to be caught in a pyroclastic flow from the eruption of Mount Doom. He didn't plan to be stabbed by a lance off-screen. He didn't plan to get an infected gut wound. He didn't plan for Galadriel to force him to ride six days to Erigion, or was it Linden? I can't remember which one it was. A stronghold of his millennia-old enemies, by the way, to be under care of elven healers, who then, of course, have no idea that he's Maiar. He didn't plan for Calibrimbor to let him assist on a project he couldn't have known even existed. He didn't plan on some grand scheme to seize power. He didn't even lie to Galadriel. She orchestrated everything that happened to him, often in defiance of his own explicit requests. He was ignored, because Galadriel always, always insists that she's right. Sauron didn't even plan on corrupting the rings. He didn't plan to assassinate Elrond or Gil-Gilad. He didn't plan to sabotage Celebrimbor's project or steal the Mithril or do anything he could have so easily done to ensure the elves would die or leave Middle-earth. I mean, these are supposed to be his enemies. Sauron didn't murder Galadriel when she confronted him about his true identity. Instead, he offered her to be the anchor for his redemption. Galadriel is furious. He wants to be a king to heal Middle-earth. You told the Southlands, Galadriel, that he was their king. What this show establishes in its utter fumbling incompetence and in defiance of the most basic of Tolkien's lore is that Sauron of the Third Age is entirely the creation of a deceitful, manipulative Galadriel whose cruelty and rejection drive a repentant being back to evil. <laughs> Boom! How's that? Thanks, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, you know yes I um mean, it is an extreme view of it but there's nothing there that's no it's wrong. but there's nothing wrong about it right like nope. so let, let me read something that the showrunners uh had to say this came from a um a hollywood reporter uh, interview that patrick mckay did uh jd Payne and patrick mckay um they said we felt Sauron should be a character in his own right. We wanted to study the currents running within him in a way that hopefully would reward audiences as they yeah. follow him moving forward as he becomes the Dark Lord. Mm -hmm. And then he adds, you know him as a person outside the name Sauron. In some ways, we wanted to do an origin story for Sauron. 
We didn't want to make a show that was about the hunt for Sauron, but we love the idea of Sauron as a deceiver who could hopefully deceive some of the audience. And then he says this. Payne adds that the arc was inspired by the charismatic depiction of Satan in Paradise Lost. Oh, in Tolkien, Sauron is a deceiver, and we know that in the Second Age he appears in fair form. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah. what if he sneaks up on you and is able to get you to sympathize with him and to get you to be on board with him so that once you actually realize who he is, he's already got his hooks in you, uh, Payne yeah. opined. So mm -hmm. it's not just as easy as this person is evil. I'm going to back away because you're already formed. You've already formed some level of attachment to him. Yeah. What if we could get the audience to go through a similar journey? Right. Yes, and there's, so there's so much to say about this. My goodness. Yeah. So the, the showrunners really do intend on a meta level yeah. to help you sort of fall in love with the devil. Yeah. So that you're more affected by or sort of brought along with his journey into uh, uh, into evil. So and, I want I want you to talk yeah. about specifically why referencing Milton Satan is such a bad idea with reference to Tolkien. But first, before before we say that, I want to establish one very important thing because this is something that not enough people are saying with enough nuance. Okay, if you subscribe to the idea that which is implicit in this comment that that uh, McKay makes that Tolkien's characterizations of evil are black and white. That's effectively what you're subscribing to, that he has no nuance in his writings, in his depictions of good and evil. It's all black. It's all white. Who makes that argument all the time? George R.R. R. Martin is the one who makes this argument all the time. That's the reason why Game of Thrones is the way it is, because Martin has been on record with this. He says, that he can't that he can't get out from underneath the shadow of Lord of the Rings. He loves the Lord of the Rings, but it doesn't fit his worldview. So all of his characters are the exact opposite. Gray, 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 gray. But of course, we all know, any of us who have read Lord of the Rings, and especially the Silmarillion, that there's no such thing as an absolutely black or an absolutely white character, except for who? Morgoth and Sauron. Okay? And that's on purpose because Tolkien's very clear. You cannot have sympathy with the devil because of Milton, because there are very serious problems with the kind of devil that Milton wrote. Tolkien was very cognizant of this sort of tradition, right? very cognizant. He's doing this on purpose. Right. So if you are taking Tolkien Sauron and turning him into a nuanced uh, villain, you are doing something that, by the way, I like to do in my own fiction. I like sure. to nuance villains. This is almost unavoidable, unavoidable in modern fantasy, almost. But Tolkien does it too. Look at Maeglin, look at Eil, look at uh, Denethor, look at Boromir, all right? He does this very well, but you have to have an ultimate evil because you have to establish the, re the existence of an ultimate evil that cannot be bent towards the good. Otherwise, there's no point to any of it. So that I need to establish that, right? So as as a appreciate uh, appreciator and lover of fantasy and as a writer of fantasy i accept that you can have nuanced villains you should but not sauron right. not sauron anyway and not morgoth and not morgoth definitely not yeah so i would like to begin by taking some shots at milton um please do <laughs> yeah, which you know, I've I've read the Parad uh, Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained both several times. I read them mm -hmm. first when I was about ten years old. Wow, um, and really thought they were really rad at the time because I was like, man, this is some dope Bible fan fiction right here. Like, this is really cool. Um, and then as I've grown older, I've fallen out of love with them. Um, yeah. and let me try to explain why. 
um paradise lost paradise regained um first of all there's a reason almost nobody reads paradise regained everyone has to read paradise lost in school at some yeah. point if you get a certain kind of degree paradise re people who actually read and enjoy paradise regained um you know i i've met people who have claimed uh to have read paradise <laughs> regained it was like cool tell me something about it what's your favorite part and they're like uh so anyway <laughs> I, I i don't think people really read it uh, but one of the big problems with paradise lost paradise regained is that they suffer from lack uh from a lack of protagonist mm -hmm. um so epic poems typically have protagonists um the odyssey is a great example of yep. you know there's a protagonist his name is odysseus his name is on the label and um you know it's his story right uh the yep. iliad has more of an ensemble cast but it still has yep. certain key characters who you can follow yep. uh and, and it's the decisions of those characters uh doomed for good or for ill that drive right. the plot forward right yeah. uh beowulf yeah. has a protagonist so on so mm -hmm. forth right yeah. well the problem is that milton is a calvinist yeah. um calvinism is the low-grade migraine that all western civilization <laughs> suffers from uh, in my opinion um but uh the problem is that milton is a calvinist and as such the character of adam doesn't actually have any agency in the story yep Right, everything you know, and as you know, uh, in, in this for the same reason, God is not a compelling protagonist for the story. Yeah. Um, well, how's how can God be a compelling protagonist for a Calvinist? I don't understand. Right. That's, right. That's yeah. a different conversation. Maybe. Yeah, different conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, um, and so what ends up happening is that the most compelling character in Paradise Lost is Satan. Clearly, yeah. He's the one that chooses, right? Now, Calvinists would say even the devil doesn't really have free choice. But uh, anyway, the point is, the, the, he's the one who is really portrayed within as the having, limits of his freedom. He does right, he does right. drive a lot of action. Right. So he's the one that makes the choices that actually drive the action of the story. He's the one that mm -hmm. actually makes the choices that matter. And his whole better to reign in hell than to be a slave yeah. in heaven speech is one of the most compelling passages in the whole story. It's one of the most compelling passages in Western literature. And it's a one of real, the most influential passages yeah, in Western literature. Most, one of the most influential. And that is a real problem. Yeah. I mean, that's a real problem. It has had a reverberating effect on all literature since. Yep. That uh written in written in the English language. Um yep. and I think that you can uh, you know, that's for me, this is why uh the great Christian epic is not Paradise Lost. Yes, uh, which is profoundly unchristian in so many ways, yeah. uh, but it's the Divine Comedy, right? If you want, yeah. like yeah, the totally. great Christian epic poem, um, you know, uh, I th it's it's the Divine Comedy, um, and then uh, after that, it's Lord of the Rings. Um, I agree. But and by um, the way, the Lord of the Rings is, I think, on some level, an answer to Milton. I think you're right. I think you're right because one of the things that Tolkien really understands. So there's that line. You're Russian, so I assume you've read Anna Karenina. Um, yes. I just assume every <laughs> Russian <times>. person. <laughs> yeah, every Russian person has obviously read that book. Um, uh, no, but you know, you know, the first line of Anna Karenina always goes something like, you know, um, what is it like? Good people are all the same, but bad people are all bad in their own interesting ways, or something, right? right. right? It's, it's something like but that. But yeah. that's a that's a profoundly untrue statement about the situation of the world. Yeah. actually it's the saints who are all interesting and diverse yeah evil is banal yeah and it's just the same and if you don't believe me then 
All you have to do is pay attention to the to the history of the 20th century. Pay Every attention to the history of the, the 20th thing. century. Pay attention they to all do the same thing. You know, uh, I mean, there there are tons, tons and tons of examples of is, is pornography, right? Yeah. Is yep. which is one of the great like scourges of our time. You know, yep. the devil's iconography, as Father Sarah from Rose called it, right? That's right. Yeah, like all of the the point, like all of this stuff is deeply banal. It's yep. all the same at the end of the day, right? Because right. it always leaves you in the same place. Mm-hmm. Tolkien understood this about evil. Yeah. And so he understood that the interesting thing is not uh, to make evil interesting, but rather it's to show the the struggle against it, right? To show the struggle. Boromir goes through that struggle, right? Boromir has a deathbed repentance and confession. That's what makes right? it so good. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and you know, like Boromir is it's not a bad character, no. but he's weak and he falls. Mm-hmm. And then he has this sort of, you know, last deathbed uh, uh, confession to Aragorn. He has repentance, um, and and uh, it's this really beautiful, actually, really sacramental moment. The whole yeah. funeral of Boromir is this deeply beautiful sacramental mo- moment, which I think that the um, the Jackson film captured uh, films captured quite well and brilliantly put it at the end of Fellowship instead of the beginning of Two Towers. Yes. One of the best decisions they made. Absolutely. Yes. Brilliant. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, so the problem is that, uh, many people have just profoundly misunderstood this yeah. and, uh, and this is really unfortunate in the context of something like the rings of power or game of thrones, etc., because it's one of the great virtues of fantasy that it is able to show us evil in this way. I yes. mean, if you read, you can get away with it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you read the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, mm-hmm. right. Has there ever been like a better villain in a book than the White Witch? There's no. nothing. There's nothing relatable about her, right? Mm-mm. And yet, every single one of us who has read that book honestly could say, you know, I probably would have done what Edmund did in his place. You know, like yeah. you know, the whole uh, she's going to give me treats and she's going to tell me the things that I want to hear about myself, and she's going to. And so the thing is, the character we sympathize with in that book is Edmund. It's not yeah. the witch. It's Edmund, yep. and it's yep. Edmund's struggle, right, to get out of. And, and- to get story, out of her but, clutches. No, but and and let's let's make it, let's drive this point a little bit deeper. She does get a uh, a four story, right? She does get a prequel, and it in no way makes her in any way more uh, appealing. It makes yeah. her worse. Although uh, uh, Uncle Andrew did believe to his dying day that she was a damn fine woman, <laughs> sir, <laughs> a damn fine was. woman. Um. <laughs> I've read that book a lot of times. If you can't it's tell, a good, it's a good book. Yeah, I love those books. But yeah, so I mean, uh, same thing with the characters in, uh, uh, you know, the the villain, the the Green Lady in the Silver Chair, who's who's yeah. of that kind of same breed. Yep. You know, um, this is what fantasy is for. Tolkien right. or Lewis Lewis says in one of his essays about fairy story, he says that one of the great virtues of this kind of literature is that things can wear their outsides on their insides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can say in real life, yes, most people, like, you know, there's that famous Solzhenitsyn quote, like, wouldn't it be convenient if the lines were always clear and easy to see? Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, you've got your, you know, the great mass murderers of the 20th century, Hitler and Stalin and so forth. You can look at that person and say, yeah, that guy's, that guy's evil, right? That guy's evil. That guy's bad. Or you can look at Judas. You can look at other, you know, characters, you know, and. And you can say that's that's a bad guy. That guy's evil. But for most people, it's not that simple. It's not. Right. 
it's not that easy which is why we need fantasy well what you're saying is is really interesting in that you can, in fantasy it's not an either or proposition right, it's 100%. an if and right so you can you can have yes. both you can have the nuanced gray kinds of characters who are very appealing to a modern audience you can have an uh, an approachable and interesting villain but those kinds of characters become better and more compelling if they exist against a backdrop of ultimate evil this is the only reason that Game of Thrones as a series is as effective as it is. It's because of the White Walkers. Right. Because they are evil. They are ultimate evil that has no rational basis in, in existence. It's just going to come and eat you. Right. So then all that stuff that's going on in King's Landing and all that stuff, it becomes it's against the backdrop of the of the ultimate evil. And it becomes much more compelling. It's much more than just the squabbling of very annoying and stupid people. Because you have you're invested in the survival of the world because right. it's all going to die. Everybody's going to turn to zombies. So you, it's all of this stuff is disingenuous. It's it's un it's unfair people to make these, uh, to make these complaints about Tolkien being black and white because he's not, because he does the thing right. He gives you both. He gives you the ultimate of the white, the ultimate of the black, and then he allows you to play in the middle a lot, and it's really compelling. But and this stuff. The yeah and so the problem with this is that it actually brings that scale it brings the whole it brings the whole story down yes right and it brings the whole story down to um so so to go on if i could real quick he just yeah. says like tony soprano or walter white oh, he's God, evil but complexly so evil right and so i mean they're they're openly saying this is this show is going to be breaking bad for Sauron. That's right. Right. So that's yeah. going to be season two. That's what they're planning on season two being. Yep. And unless Amazon steps in and says the ratings aren't what we want to see, we're going to slap your hand. You got to do something better, which is apparently what they've done with Wheel of Time. Maybe oh, really? too late. Oh, I, we'll hope so. yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently the showrunners uh, for Wheel of Time uh, after the terrible reviews that season one got, got their, got their hand smacked and said, yeah. you know, you, you, you got to do a better job. So we'll see what happens here. Um, but at this point, I mean, this is what the, the the viewers themselves have said is this is where we're going. Sauron is the Walter White of this franchise. Which is insane. I mean, I have no I have no desire to watch that show. That yeah, me neither. And if that's to do with Lord of the Rings. Yeah, if that's what it's going to be. Tolkien. I mean, this gets back to will I watch season two? Kind of depends. Yeah. yeah. Um, if if they if they keep charging ahead in the direction that the show has been going, then uh, no. Um, and you know, a lot of people have said, well, the show's just not for you. It's for dot dot dot. Well, at some point, you're right, the show is not for me. Yeah. And and um that is I'm fine with that. That's okay. Um yeah. you can't take away my enjoyment of the books. Um no, no but ultimately, ultimately you can't in the same sentence say this show is not for you, but right. it is for people who understand and appreciate Tolkien for being Tolkien. This right. is not this is no longer Tolkien. If they yeah. do this, then then and believe and they could do this with anyone else. I will again how many times during this miniseries uh, that we've had here have I said that the by far the best character is Adar. I've said it again and again and again. He's an excellent character, it's a very interesting storyline. I have no problem with nuanced bad guys. Okay. Sure. Yeah. But pause off Sauron. Yeah. Just stop it. Because you've put yourself in an impossible position. 
In order to make Sauron, this kind of Sauron, you have to make Galadriel into the villain. And you're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to have both ways and it's not working. And you know what, for me, the worst scene of the entire eight episodes was? Galadriel coming in after she real, after she almost dies, coming into the Celebrimbor's forge, saying Halbrand isn't coming back and then not admitting her fault and trying to forge ahead, forge ahead uh, with the forging of the rings and and I don't know, pretending like she didn't do anything wrong. And, and she tells Elrond, you're like, you're not allowed to ask me that question and be a good friend. Like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought okay. that was very strange. I, why wouldn't she just come and be like, guys, I was right. Sauron's back. So like, this the, is your this is your big moment. Galadriel. I mean, this is the, she gives her sword in. So this is are, are you going to do something more than just the physical action that's supposed to represent an internal change? Because that's what it's supposed to do. The physical action is supposed to represent an internal change. She didn't have that internal change. And they're committing to it because in that same article, they're talking about how season two is going to be uh, the the repercussions of Galadriel's uh, decision on Galadriel. Galadriel's going to be in trouble in season two. Like, I don't want to watch this. Like, what? why? It's been, we've had enough of Galadriel as villain and Sauron as, as good guy, who, you know, almost good guy for this entire season. I'm sick of it. Are we going to have it, are we going to go like lean into that aspect of this in season two? Is this going to be the backbone of season two? Are you out of your mind? This is the one thing that is the least Tolkien and the entire thing that you've done. I mean, there's like, there's so many other things you could, you could focus on. Spend more time in, in, uh, in, in, uh, uh with the dwarves. I mean, please go people there seems, people seem to like it i mean even numenor there's so much more you could do with numenor they, not once did we have anything about the king's men and the the references to the faithful were more about a, a generic kind of faithful that has to do with kind of belief in something and there's there's like a really weird there is like a really weird kind of like sideways nature to all of that where over and over again it seems like the what the show is telling us that actually is actually yeah the elves are bad for Numenor like it's very yeah it's very you know it's very hard to kind of track with what are the what what's the message like what are the well they're what's the moral to each other constantly yeah this is what, what's the moral framework at? that the show is well, trying who, to communicate what moral framework and again this is getting back to that to that original article that we've mentioned several times from the New York Times you know about not creating a Tolkien a multiverse is that if you're going to take on the job of creating a massive work of entertainment that is based on Tolkien's work, at the very least, what you can do is do what Peter Jackson did and say explicitly, we're going to try to bring his vision to yeah. the screen out of respect for the professor. He called him the professor, capital right. P. I mean, right. I, I know from conversations that he has had in, in other outlets that he and I do not share a worldview at all, Peter sure. Jackson and I. And sure. still, the Lord of the Rings series is some of the best, some of the best cinematography, some of the best cinematic stuff that I that I've ever seen. I like those movies a lot. And here we have these people who are not successful writers, who have no backlist of works that they've practiced on and who aren't even trying to remain true to the vision all they do is pay lip service in the absolute literal meaning of that they pay lip service and then they go do whatever the heck they want yeah and when you call them out on it instead of 
trying to reason, to give a reasoned response for why they did this, they immediately virtue signal and call you insert, you know, demonized right. uh, group here. This is classic propaganda. Right. That's what it is. This is how propaganda works. This is not art. It's not even trying to be art. Right. But the worst thing about it is that they don't realize it's propaganda. They think they're doing entertainment. Otherwise, why would they be spending all this time and energy to do it? There'd be no point. Nobody wants to spend $60 million an episode to do propaganda. Nobody. Not even the ones who are doing it. There are much cheaper and more effective ways of doing propaganda yeah. than spending three and a half years of your life in extremely you know, tense conditions doing all this for in, in, insane amounts of money. Yeah. You don't, they clearly don't have the, the knowledge, the life experience, the writing ability to do this. And it's just becoming clearer and clearer the more they're opening their mouths. And it's really disappointing. I am disappointed by this. Yeah. I don't want to hate on them. I want to sit and enjoy a work of art inspired by my favorite author. I want this more than anything. Wake up, right. people. Yeah, you, and th this th is you think that they think that we're looking at this thing cynically and just like looking for stuff to hate. Like, no, no, that's not it's not how we operate at all. And nope. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's my review of season one as well. And it is quite interesting to see, like, now that the shine has worn off a little bit, especially with mm -hmm. that last episode, uh, a lot of uh, news outlets, media outlets, and whatnot have have kind of come out and said, you know what, actually, first season was pretty bad. Yep. And then I don't always agree with them on the reasons they think it's bad or the, yeah. th the parts they think are good. But um, I think the general con critical consensus has been has been uh, tilting six, back in the in the in sixty the million direction. dollars an episode should have been better, yeah. right? Yeah. And the, even going back to things like the lazy lazy CGI that we talked about. I mean, it's bad. Ch Chihuahua Warg is is not good. Chihuahua oh my gosh, Chihuahua Warg was so bad. It's so dorky. Um, and if I could just talk about like. What in the face of everything you just said, this will seem like a small nitpick, but I just mm. I just have to get it in before get we finish chest, this review. Man. Get it off your chest. <laughs> so the mithril thing. Oh god. <laughs> so the mithril thing uh came out in the in that episode, it was like episode five, I think. And uh a lot of people who were who have been going to bat for the show um for reasons that are difficult for me to understand, um, in, in terms of like why why they would feel like Amazon needs their uh, defend, you know, need needs them to defend it. But um, a lot of people going to bat for the show said, "Oh, this is obviously a, a, a ploy. Sauron has deceived the elves into thinking this mithril thing is true." Yeah, and and it's not going to be really true. Obviously, the showrunners are smart. They know the lore. They know that's not how how magic works in Tolkien. That's they know that's not how the ring, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What I said at the time. Uh, was that no? This is how they're going to get to the rings. They're going to they're going to make the rings out of mithril, and this is how that's going to be explained. Yeah. Um, and that you know the you know obviously the ring the elves do forge the rings to slow slow or kind of stop their fading, right? right? So that much is accurate. Now fading manifesting is like black goo on trees, yeah. like you know whatever. But but I mean that is why they forge the rings. I said no. I think this is this whole thing is. Is going to be genuine and actually one of the things that i said i don't think i said it in this review but i said it in a discussion with somebody else is my prediction is they're not going to be able to get the mithril that they need and so the 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 shortage of mithril is going to be why they go with rings you know because yeah, they you can called make... it you called yeah so so all of that ended up being true uh but 
even even with the 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 previous episode where they showed like the 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 leaf is healed you know yeah. and then it floats down and gets and burned the up by a rod. Yeah. <laughs> very very kind of okay you know, whatever scene uh but uh i said i i said well see look right here it works and they said no that's still part of sauron's delusion so like people were sticking by their guns on the yeah. whole mithril thing yeah. and then in this final episode it is just it's extremely clear no they're going with this this is how this works yeah and they decided to uh double down on this by getting Kelly Brimbor, the greatest elven smith who's ever lived uh you know second greatest i guess who's ever lived yeah. uh to to really double down on this and say we need a circular shape so that the light can double back on itself and become like this infinite powerhouse it's the arc reactor from iron man i know like that's it's... what they went with yep and yep. to me this was so it was frustrating on a number of levels one is because i was told i was cynical for thinking the mithril thing was was legit yep another reason that it was really frustrating to me is is again because simply this is not how magic works there's a reason tolkien didn't never wrote a scene where the rings of power were actually being forged it's much more mythically powerful to say these great magical rings were forged than to tell us and so uh to forge the rings they built a pressure chamber with enough power to fuse heaven and earth oh the by the way the what, what about together. his extremely important forge that never got built oh okay so this is another <laughs> little weird continuity error and I, uh somebody asked uh uh pointed this out to me and said hey did you notice this and i said yeah i noticed it and it seemed very strange to me um this is my buddy alipius um um oh and also uh I, because i want to credit people credit to my buddy john matthew for sending me that hollywood reporter article earlier mm -hmm. today uh, which i had not seen and once i saw it, it was like ah. <laughs> but um uh so in this in this um uh in the first one one of the earlier scenes when they go back to Erigian. Mm -hmm. right you see the half finished tower in the background mm -hmm. but then in the scene right before they forge the rings they're in a finished tower and the finished tower has ivy on it like it's <laughs> been there for a while so my question is did they forge this thing in the giant special forge tower or was that just a plot thread they forgot to resolve the the latter it was the latter and I, in either they ran case, out of money. They ran out of money. That's what it was. That's not the case. They have <laughs> unlimited money. Um, so this is so. In either case, this is like a major, just like a major uh, continuity problem. Like either, yeah. you know, and and in a classic example of like violating the first rule of good writing, right? The whole Chekhov's gun thing, right? Yes. If you if you sell me, I need a giant elven tower in the very first episode or second episode, whichever one it was. I think it was the first. If you sell first, me, yeah. I need a giant elven tower in the first episode. By the time you get to the eighth tower, uh, eighth episode, and we're forging magical rings in a in an elven tower, it had better be that first tower, or you should have yeah. explained why we abandoned work on it, or yeah. or like tie that off, pay that off. And that's just just another example of of the kind of like the really inattentive. I think that's the word I'm going to go with here. Uh, well, it sounds they, sounds nicer than they, sloppy. Ultimately, they didn't even really say what what it was that he wanted to do. Right? What was his what was his project? What was the thing that he that he was going to forge that he needed the massive forge for? Because it wasn't the rings. It wasn't even a crown. It was something else. But what was it? Grand? The, was he going to make grand? 
the great the it was supposed to be like the great work that was going to like yeah but but they they and 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 you you know as the as the viewer that that is supposed to be a hint yeah at the forging of the rings later but then they come up with this other completely tedious really really silly uh story of how the rings actually got forged and and so they never pay that five first minutes. Yeah, and so they never pay that first one off. And yeah, the rings are forged in five minutes, and 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 it's really this goofy scene so that we can get the mithril. Uh, uh, my favorite. Uh, you you talked about liking the Nazgals. Uh, my favorite. A uh, 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 new coinage for the show has been the mithril chlorians. <laughs> yes, yes. The uh, because because it functions in exactly the way same way that the mith yeah. the midichlorians in the Star Wars prequel films did, yep. which was taking something that was like pretty cool. There's a force, and some people can. Mm -hmm. manipulated and it's like basically you have magic right you have space magic yep. like zen buddhist space magic right mm -hmm. and they take that and they uh and they were like oh it's actually because you have uh, all these like little bacteria organisms in your body and you can measure somebody's midichlorian count and, and find out like how much which magic by the way have. everybody hated and nobody was gonna well nobody was on lewis's side everyone hated nobody it. he was the only person everyone he still is the only person who thinks it's a good idea Everyone hated it, and all Star Wars adaptations since then have chosen, rightly so, to completely forget about it. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, and this is the equivalent of that. And you know, I hope that when they get to episode two, they just decide to, or season two, they decide to completely forget about this because there, it was, there might be a lot of redconning going on in season two. Yeah, it's it totally possible. But yeah. again, shouldn't be necessary for the most expensive TV show ever no. made. Like no. Could have so, afforded to get it right the first time. So exactly. So anyway. will we watch it? I think the uh, jury is still out. But at this point, out. if yeah. if uh, if it becomes clear that we're continuing uh, say, uh, Milton's Satan and Galadriel as supervillain, then I'm out. Um, and the only way that I'm going to change that is if the promotional materials um, make it clear that we're going in a different direction. So the trailers might uh, make might change my mind when we get there. Of course, it's going to be a long time. But uh, judging by the uh by their track record on trailers that's unlikely because the trailers were the weakest part of yeah. all of the stuff that they did they were really and bad. they've said <laughs> they've said that it's going to be probably two or three years before we get another season which right. might be code for uh well we we got a lot of re reworking and rethinking could to be. do could which be. i uh honestly hope happens again i want this to be good i yeah, never wanted it to be we bad i no. you know and i don't have a lot of patience for people who said well, I'm not going to watch it at all because it's terrible. Well, no. Now, now you can say that because you can go look at reviews and say maybe this is not worth my time. But yeah. initially, like, I mean, who? How are you going to know unless you, unless you watch it? So, um, well, the only other way is to listen to us opine about it, and of course, to listen to we're us. Very grateful that you rant. were here listening, yes. and uh, yeah. we needed to get all this off our chests. Yes. No. Oh. Still frosty. Still frosty over the mithril thing. If you could not tell, like, it seems like oh. a small <laughs> sin. It in light of so many of the other like structural problems with the show but again to me it's just it's just it's, it's a matter of heart it's the, then if, if it's the perfect know. example of how they don't understand the source material they don't they just don't and and so they're and 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 they're 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 drawing upon a well of inspiration that's not the source material it's some combination of peter jackson films and kind of the marvels the mcu zeitgeist that and, and generic fantasy right of yeah. the 80s and 90s and 2000s yeah that's it that's it yeah but i think i think the mcu like that's that's the generic fantasy now 
Yeah, right. And right. and if you if you think about this, if you think about that, this whole Mithril thing is a really good example. Mm-hmm. If you'd taken all of that stuff and put it in a Thor movie, nobody would have noticed. It's true. They'd yeah. have been like, oh yeah, there are these like this this ancient demon and he hit a rock. Yep. And it's magical now, and we need a bunch of uh, we need a bunch of it to make a thing, yeah. and uh, uh, but we don't have enough to go around. So Iron Man has to figure out a way to uh, forge it in a circle. And you can you can just imagine a scene like actually replaced. that'd be kind of cool to be honest. <laughs> so I, well, okay, but but the thing is like it works in that genre. But like if you just imagine that scene where they're having that conversation with Gilgalad, but now yeah. instead it's. Uh, Gilgalad is Captain America. Yep. And then it's Iron Man and Bruce Banner talking about how do we forge this yeah, thing? Yeah, totally. And and they say, oh, we need something. And then and then Iron Man says, you know, if we did this, if it was round, if it was a circle, if it was circular, then actually the power would loop back on itself. And it would, you know, and, and they're like, okay, so what are we going to forge? A crown? No, we don't have enough to go around. A ring. Um, and 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 I did yep. think they had like a decently cool explanation for why we decided to do three rings. Yeah, that was um, okay. That was okay. Yeah, uh, that was, you know, of, of the nice things to say about this episode. That was that was a nice little thing. But but you can see that scene happening in the MCU. Clearly, it's got no it? business being in a Tolkien story. Yeah, and the fact that true. somebody did tells me that no, actually, these guys don't care about the lore. And I'm not even sure that they've read much of it. I mean, let's. Uh, this is like I, a, I think like all of us have read more level. Than have. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's that's a good place to end. Um, so, unfortunately, we can't say more Sorry, everyone. positive things about it. But hey, you know, there's a. I promised we, at the outset that I would be honest. Yeah, and uh, we are. So there you go. Uh, Richard and I will be back at some point in the near or far future to talk about Dune, and that's going to be a lot more of uh, positive uh, ranting. So I, I need to go still... watch it like three times before we do that. Well, yes, because, you know, if we're going to be talking on this level, then we really need to get into all the yeah. details. Like the little, like that awesome statue of the bull before we even know that they're Toreadors. One of the best bits of world building. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. So that's it uh, for Rings of Power. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard and you'd like to delve more deeply into this topic, check out my audio series on stories that unite in dark times. Available exclusively at nicholaskotar.com forward slash stories that unite. And if you're hankering for more fantasy stories, check out my own Raven Sun epic fantasy series inspired by Russian fairy tales. Available now in audio, paperback, and ebook formats. This show is produced by the wonderful Derek Cummins, and the beautiful title music is Lighthouse in the Rain, originally composed by Velislava Franta. You can find her work on SoundCloud.